welcome to the Prophecy Club. As you know, Leslie and I are going to Malaysia to speak, and in the process, I've tried my best to make a lot of broadcasts in advance, but I just can't make enough of them. I'm going to get some help from David Phillips also, but in the meantime, we're going to have to play some audio of the DVDs. And out of the over 300 DVDs that we've made, I've chosen the ones by Michael Rood because I think that the church mostly needs to learn more about the feasts, and that's probably one of the best ones talking on the feast that I know of. So here's the offer, then I'll explain what the DVDs are. We're offering you six discs valued at $160 for a gift of $40, but the best deal is get six discs and watch them at watchprophecyclub.com for only $10. Yeah, they can watch all six of them for only $10, and of course you can get signed up for watchprophecyclub.com for $20 a month or $200 a year. So here's the scoop on it. We're offering you Prophecy in the Spring and Fall Feast. That's a four-disc set by Michael Rood. We're also offering you Fall Feasts in Prophecy by Doug Hamp. And my DVD, 17 Secrets in the Feast and the Trumpets. Again, six DVD discs valued $160 for a gift of $40. And you order the discs at prophecyclub.com. It's called the Feasts in Prophecy gift offer. However, the best deal is watch all six of them for a gift of $10 at WatchProphecyClub.com. You'll have access to the Fall Feasts offer of four titles immediately at WatchProphecyClub.com. But of course, the best deal is you can watch over 200 titles for a gift of $20 a month recurring or $200 a year recurring, and you can watch all of them anytime you want to, including the new Sevenfold Miracle Crusade, which is not going to be offered on DVD. It's only going to be at WatchProphecyClub.com. So, order the discs at ProphecyClub.com. Watch the 200 titles for $20 a month, $200 a year at WatchProphecyClub.com. Or get the Feasts in Prophecy gift offer at ProphecyClub.com for a gift of $40. Or you can watch all of them, all six of them, for a gift of only $10 at WatchProphecyClub.com. little complicated. Call us, 785-266-1112, and we will explain more if you have a question. So let me explain what the DVDs are. First of all, in my opinion, I think that probably Michael Rood is one of the best, if not the best, at explaining the feasts. One of the revelations I received, which is in my new book, Secret Door to Understand Bible Prophecy, was that Jesus did not fulfill all of the spring feasts. He was not here. As you recall, he ascended 10 days before Pentecost. The feasts are not days to have a party. They are God's appointment days, meaning that when God does major events, he always does them on his feast days. Most especially, they are a picture of the last seven months before Jesus returns. They lay out the two returns, I said the two returns of Jesus, one on first fruits as a lamb, 50 days later his crowning at the marriage feast, and then his final return on trumpets as the line of the tribe of Judah to burn the tares. Michael Rood probably does one of the best jobs I've ever seen in explaining the feast, which is why I've chosen to play his audio of his DVDs today. Michael tells the story of how Jesus fulfilled the first four feasts at his coming, as I said. I don't believe he did. I think it stopped on first fruits. That's our only difference. But other than that, I think he's right on. And it's very important that you learn all you can about these feasts because they help you to understand Bible prophecy. Then we also are offering Doug Hemp's DVD, The Fall Feasts in Prophecy. He says there are seven feasts of the Lord. 
We know Jesus died on Passover. During the Feast of Unleavened Bread, he was in the tomb. On first fruits, he arose. Fifty days later, on Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came. He'll also explain the parable of the fig tree in Matthew 24 and demonstrates that we are living at the end of the generation, which will see the budding of the fig tree. Then my DVD is part of the offer, 17 Secrets in the Feasts and the Trumpets. This recording contains the top six revelations I received from memorizing the book of Revelation. In the order of importance, they are the next anointing of Jesus, who are the two witnesses, is not Enoch and Elijah, what is the morning star, seven amazing facts about the 144,000, secrets in the seven feasts and trumpets, who appears before the great white throne, and who appears for the Jesuit seat of Christ, the kings and priests in New Jerusalem, what are and who sits on the other thrones, and what are the other books. So that's four titles, six discs, for a value of $160 at prophecyclub.com for a gift of $40 at watchprophecyclub.com for a gift of $10. But the best deal is just join Watch Prophecy Club. 20 bucks a month, $200 a year. You can watch now over 200, almost 300 titles. Now let's go listen to Michael Rood in Prophecies in the Spring Feasts of the Lord. We do not understand God's reckoning of time, but we also have been shut out from understanding the Feast of the Lord, which the New Testament says are all shadow pictures of good things to come. And so it is that, that uh, Israel understood for centuries, for generations, that each one of the Feasts of the Lord were holy rehearsals, holy convocations, which are holy mikra or holy rehearsals, that we look back at good things that had happened in the past, such as Passover, when we left Egypt. We understood these things as good things that happened in the past. But yet, until the spring feasts were fulfilled, we did not understand that they were also shadow pictures of what the Messiah would accomplish when the Messiah comes. And so now, what we are going to see is get an understanding, a perspective of that. Because we see that in the Gospel of John, John Yohanan was a first century Jewish follower of the Jewish Messiah. And it is in his gospel, in his record, that he says, I have not written everything that could be written or should be written. The world wouldn't even be able to contain the scrolls of the things that should be written about Jesus of Nazareth. But he said, but this I have written that you might know that Yahshua of Nazareth is the Messiah, the only begotten Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. Now, how does a Jewish disciple of the Messiah prove in his culture to his people that Yahshua is the Messiah? How does he do it? Of all the things that could and should be written, the world wouldn't be able to contain the scrolls. What is it that he selects, that he uses, that proves that he is Messiah? John shows how Jesus of Nazareth fulfilled the spring feast of the Lord, just as they had been rehearsed every year, year after year, century after century, for over a thousand years, and that each one of these feasts were a prophetic shadow picture that we were required, Israel was required to go up to Jerusalem, to these feasts, to these rehearsals, and every one of these feasts were embedded 
with a, an expectation that this could be the time that the Messiah is revealed. And so every time we came to the feast, it was with that expectation, this may be the year. We would come up, we would purify ourselves, we would mikvah or baptize ourselves before the festivities began, expecting that maybe this is the year that the Messiah comes. And we see that the Gospel of John details how Yahshua of Nazareth fulfills every detail of the spring feast just as they've been rehearsed for thousands of years. The Gospel of John really can't be understood from a, a Western or a Gentile perspective that's completely removed from the Feast of the Lord. Because unless you understand the feast and understand what was going on, then as we read, we really don't see the fulfillment of all the pictures. And so today we are going to go into these things and there will be an explosion in your mind. There will be a perspective that you will be changed forever. You will walk out of here as different people thinking differently and there's nothing that you'll be able to do about it. Because when the rivers begin to flow together in your mind into streams that will change your life forever, you will, will walk out and will have a different understanding of the scriptures and how they apply to life. Now we see that the same writer, John, near the end of his life, then when he wrote the book of Revelation, which I call the gospel of Revelation, gospel means good news, and those who look forward to the coming of the Messiah to rule and reign as the conquering king, as the son of David, that is good news to those who love his coming. And we see in the book of Revelation that the same writer, John, then details how the fall feast of the Lord are fulfilled to the very day, the very hour, the exact moment, just as they've been rehearsed for thousands and thousands of years. Also, we see that in the Gospels, we see Yahshua, the Messiah, as he teaches and he interprets the fall feast. Because what happened is 40 years after the death, burial, and resurrection and ascension of the Messiah, that's when the temple was destroyed. The priesthood, in effect, ceased at that moment, and all the rehearsals no longer took place. And so what has happened among the Jews as they have gone all around the earth and dispersed over three different continents, then what happened is that there were remembrances put in place to remember the way that things used to be, the way that these rehearsals used to take place. And so these things still exist, and we see how the Messiah interpreted the fall feast, and then in the book of Revelation we see how the fall feast will be fulfilled. And again, the book of Revelation cannot be understood if we are completely stripped from our heritage of the Feast of the Lord and all we have known are pagan feasts and festivals. So what we are going to do is divorce ourselves from pagan sun god worship, all the feast and festivals associated with it, and we are going to go to the Feast of the Lord and see what the first century Jewish followers of the Messiah saw and understood. And this is what one of the things that's so exciting for me is that as I'm going around teaching, for the most part, those to whom I am speaking are Gentile followers of the Jewish Messiah. This is, this is really, who could have expected this? See, nearly 2,000 years ago on the day of Pentecost, on the high day of Shavuot, when the Holy Spirit was poured out, in which most uh, uh, Christians look at that as the beginning of the church, 
From that day until the household of Cornelius, which were the first Gentiles that were brought into the faith, for those first 15 years, there were no Gentile followers of the Jewish Messiah at all. None. Not one. There were tens and perhaps hundreds of thousands of Jews who believed, and they gave their lives to get out and get the good news of the Messiah out to the Gentiles. That's how the Gentiles got to here to begin with. And it was good news for the Gentiles. And now, after all this time, here we are, one big happy family. Followers of the Messiah, sons of the covenant, and it is an exciting time for us. Now, of course, you know, there are things that, that we will disagree on. As happens in any good family, there are going to be disagreements. And as I often say that, uh, you know, if you and I can't find something to disagree on within the first three minutes of meeting each other, neither one of us are very intelligent. But that's not our goal here. The, the goal is to be a provision for each other and for these things to be understandable. And if it's, as it's often said, if you have uh, two Jews in the room, you're going to have at least three opinions. And uh, the, the end of every argument, though, and there are some things in God's Word that are just not clear enough to where there can be a, a consensus on it. There's always something of which you can differ in opinions on. But yet... We know that at the end of every argument, what we say is when the Messiah comes, he will interpret these things. When the Messiah comes, he'll interpret the Torah. He'll interpret the word, and we will understand it then. And so in the Gospels, we see that in actuality. We see where the Messiah has interpreted the rehearsals. He has interpreted the Torah so that the doctrines and commandments, the religious rules and regulations of men that are heaped upon people in order to manipulate and control and to coerce them to do what religious leaders want them to do, the Messiah came, he busted them down, he stripped the authority from the doctrines and commandments of men and exposed the heart of the Torah. And that is part of what we are, are going to be able to see as we take a look at this spring feast of the Lord. In order to do that, though, I would like to go to 1 Thessalonians and the fifth chapter. We read what the Rab, Rabbi Shaul, which uh, you commonly know him as the Apostle Paul, but of course Paul was a, a Hebrew rabbi, a Jewish rabbi. He was a teacher of the Torah, and throughout his letters, he is constantly quoting the Torah. And we see here that he says, But of the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. Now, why was it not necessary for Shaul to write unto these believers in Thessalonica concerning the times and seasons? First of all, they all kept God's reckoning of time. It was their culture. It was the way they lived from the moment that uh, they were born. The, it was God's reckoning of time in which the days began at sundown. The months began with the first sliver of the new moon. God's reckoning of time was the way that these people lived. And the word seasons here is throughout the Hebrew Scriptures, the word seasons is the word moedim. Moedim and the word moedim are the appointed times or the feast of the Lord, the prophetic shadow pictures of things to come. So these people in this culture at this time, they could not even imagine that 2,000 years later, the entire world would be living under a reckoning of time that's completely divorced from God's reckoning and that the whole world would have completely forsaken God's reckoning. It couldn't have been imagined then. Nor would they have imagined that at one time in the future 
that those who say they're followers of the Messiah would have inherited renamed pagan celebrations, which for the most part described their, their seasons and, uh, and, and how they lived their lives. And they would have forsaken the Feast of the Lord, which are the prophetic shadow pictures that they all knew and lived in their lives back at that time. And then he goes on to say, For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord, or the millennium of the Lord, so comes as a thief in the night. Now, whenever you have the word as, used as a conjunction in the scriptures, you have a figure of speech. The figure of speech is simile. Simile. In other words, there are similarities that can be drawn from how the day or millennium of the Lord comes to how a thief in the night comes. Now, in our culture, of course, we know how a thief in the night comes, in which he breaks into the house, gets a ball bat, beats you bloody with it, takes your car keys, and uh, steals off with, uh, with your jewelry and your car. But this is not the culture in which the scripture was written. All we have to do is go back to the culture and see what was going on at that time to get a, a, more un, a more thorough understanding of this figure of speech and what's being said here. Because every night up on the Temple Mount, there was one priest and his job was to tend the fires under the brazen altar. He was to keep those fires going all night long, not blazing hot, but just keep them going so that in the morning that fire can be stoked up very quickly, and then at the time of the morning oblation, which they incinerate a male lamb of the first year at the morning oblation, that that fire is ready to go and ready to be then heated up. Now, that priest's job was to stay up all night and to tend the fires. He was a servant that was on duty, uh, selected for that job that night. And if that priest would go up there and stoke up the fire real hot and then go and lay down, then he may experience something that transpired quite frequently. That the Kohen Gadol, the high priest, would go up on the Temple Mount in the wee hours of the morning, late at night, in the middle of the night, the high priest would go up to see if the servant on duty was doing his job. And if he found that the priest on duty had stoked up the fire real hot to have a lot of coals, and then he went to lay down and fell asleep, the high priest would go over to the altar and get one of the brass fire pans and get some nice hot coals and chuff them out, shake them out, and get them real nice and hot. And then he would very quietly, like a thief in the night, then he would go over to where that priest that was on duty had fallen asleep, and the priest would go over there, and then very carefully he would empty out those red-hot coals on his jalabia, on his linen garment that was now just laying there flowing uh, around his feet. And as he put those coals around him on the front and the back, now that priest would even go into a deeper sleep, being nicely warmed by those coals that were on his garment. But in a few moments, his garments would burst into flames. That priest would wake up, and he would rip his garments off him and flee off the Temple Mount, completely exposed for the slothful servant that he was. That is the picture of the thief in the night. Every time the scriptures use that terminology, that phrase, the day of the Lord or the Lord coming as a thief in the night, he always comes to the wicked, the slothful, the sluggard who is not doing his duty, who is beating his fellow servants, who is drunken and mistreating his fellow servants. That's to whom he comes as a thief in the night. We should never relate the day of the Lord coming upon us as a thief in the night. 
Every time it is in a negative connotation, we should not be asleep. We are supposed to be doing the job that we were left to do. And then he went on to say, For when they shall say, peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them. How would you like to be an integral part of that particular group, upon whom sudden destruction comes? No, not particularly. I I don't think that any of us want to be linked with that, because it is they who are saying peace and safety. They are crying out for peace and safety. As a matter of fact, uh, just in the papers the other day, I saw where uh, Barack had called for everyone to pray for peace and safety. His actual words. And it says, when they cry out for peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as travail upon a woman with child. Now, the word as is a conjunction here, and it is a figure of speech. And the figure of speech is what? Simile. Simile. In other words, there are similarities that can be drawn from how travail comes upon a woman with child. Now, let me ask you. Because we have to look at that figure of speech to, to draw what the parallels are. When does travail or labor pains come upon a woman with child? Three weeks after she becomes pregnant? No. When the fullness of time comes, when those labor pains begin, at that moment, whether she's ready or not, makes no difference in the world. Because that baby is coming, it's going to be delivered. And when the fullness of time comes, God has set his plan in motion. And when the fullness of time comes, when the day of the Lord begins, when the seventh month, the Sabbath month of the Sabbath millennium begins, the labor pains are going to become so severe. And what will happen is that these are the labor pains that will then result in delivering the Messiah. In other words, the Messiah is not coming as a baby this time. He's coming as the conquering, reigning king. And the world is going to go into travail this time. Mary was in travail last time. The world will travail this time because it is going to bring forth the Messiah who is going to rule this earth with a rod of iron. And it is that revelation that we look forward to at this particular time. Now, the next word in this writing here, it says... But you, brethren, are not in darkness that that day should overtake you. The word but, again, is a conjunction, but it's a contrasting conjunction. But, it sets in contrast, we are not to be in darkness that that day should overtake us as a thief. We are to be children of the light, children of the day. We are to know God's times and his moedim, his feast, his prophetic shadow pictures, so that The shadow pictures, which is how God told the end from the beginning. We are not to have the day or millennium of the Lord come upon us as a thief in the night. The labor pangs are not going to come upon us and we be completely unaware because we are to be children of the light. And as we understand God's times and God's moedim, we will see that this is a time that we get prepared for the things that must come to pass. And as Paul wrote to the believers in Rome, he asked a rhetorical question. He wasn't expecting them to write back immediately with this. But he asked the question, what advantage hath the Jew? What advantage hath the Jew? And if you were to ask most people, they would say, well, none. God is through with the Jews. God has forsaken the Jews. The Christians, the Gentiles have replaced the Jews. They are not in God's plan anymore. 
That's what many people have been saying. But what did Paul say? What did the scripture say? What advantage hath the Jew? He replied, much in every way. Much in every way. Now, of all the advantages there are of being raised in a culture, in in a family in which you are taught the Torah, the five books of Moses, which are God's basic instructions for life, of all the advantages there are to being raised to when you wake up in the morning, as you walk by the way, as you lie down at night, as you sit at the table to be taught God's word your whole life, of all the advantages there are, he says, that chiefly because that unto them were committed the oracles of God. Of all the advantages there are, the primary advantage is that because unto Israel were committed the oracles of God. What are these oracles that are so important that of all the advantages, this is the greatest advantage? In Hebrews it says, at the time that you ought to be teachers, you need that one teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. What are these oracles that are so foundational, so primary, that we ought not even to be opening our mouths as teachers until we at least have these basic oracles down? It was Peter who said, If any man minister, if any man teach, if any man speak, let him speak as of the oracles of God. What are these oracles that if there's anything that we say, anything that we minister, that these are have to be the foundational things? Are they even being taught today? Do people even understand these things among those who say they're followers of the Messiah? It was Stephen who said, Our fathers received the living oracles to give up to us. What are these living oracles that the fathers of Israel, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, right down to the twelve tribes, that they received these living oracles to then pass on to their offspring generation after generation? What are these living oracles? The word oracle sounds a little bit mystical, doesn't it? It's not commonly used in the English language, but the word oracles is the word logion. The word logion in the Greek is the word communication. And we see, according to the testimony of the scriptures, that Moses and the prophets were sent to the twelve tribes of Israel. That's to whom the prophets were sent. The prophets were not sent to the Algonquin, the Aborigine, the Chippewa, the Cherokee, or any other tribe, the English or the French. They were sent to the twelve tribes of Israel. And the written Logion... I'm going to interrupt the broadcast right there. In 2017, I memorized the book of Revelation just as a simple project. Surprisingly, I began to receive information on 30 revelations and two visions beyond what is found in the Bible. God showed me a secret door, which is based upon a single word found in Revelation and Leviticus, linking the feasts to the prophecies. When linked, a person enters into an understanding of Bible prophecy not previously known. Even though I've been in the world of Bible prophecy for 40 years, frankly, I did not know anything of what is in this book. One prophetic word described it this way. There is a lock that I have put over a word in the book of Revelation that I'm going to open to you. It will turn so many books written on the end time message into obsolete books. That's this book. Topics are Jesus returns on what feast? The secret of the feasts. Who are the two witnesses? What is the morning star? The judgment seat explained. The great white throne explained. The nations explained. What is the shout? And the parables explained. Seals, trumpets, and vials go in what order? 
two amazing prophecy charts on the back flap, 12 inches by 9 inches. Imagine a book on prophecy that brings a fresh, new, accurate perspective. I don't want you to get one book for $20. I want you to get five books for $30 or 10 for 55 It's called The Secret Door to Understand Bible Prophecy, available at prophecyclub.com. The Secret Door to Understand Bible Prophecy. One for 20 No, 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 don't do that. You want to get five for 30 or the best deal, 10 for 55 prophecyclub.com. Each single Prophecy Club DVD is a gift of $30. In that you know the internet is going away one day, it is a good idea to actually have the disc. However, at watchprophecyclub.com, you can have instant access to over 200 titles on a recurring monthly subscription of $20 or yearly for $200 at watchprophecyclub.com. That's $6,000 worth of information at watchprophecyclub.com. That's watchprophecyclub.com. What a deal. Leslie and I have accepted an invitation to speak and minister at a conference in Malaysia. We know it is a test to see if we're willing to lose money to minister to people on the other side of the earth at a loss. With your help and the help of God, we will be successful. We've already charged the $20,000 in tickets on our credit card for us and our assistants to go. We want you to go with us, at least spiritually. We want you to share in the fruit of our labors by sharing in the estimated $25,000 in expenses to go and take the gospel and Bible prophecy to the other side of the earth. Go to prophecyclub.com. You can also support us by texting the word prophecy to 444-999 and follow the prompts. We're going May 18th through June 5th.